Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Have you ever been in total darkness? Total darkness? This little boy looking out there, it's a dark night. That's not total, but kind of get the, get, kind of get the idea. I, I, I'm in a darkness so complete, all-encompassing, that you, you can almost feel it around you. Uh, it can be disorienting, to say the least, sometimes downright terrifying. I, I can still recall something that happened to me uh, when I was just a boy. Um, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and the darkness around me just seemed total and profound. And it was very still, and it was pitch black, and I, I couldn't even see any shadows of any kind in my, in my bedroom. And the longer I lay there, the more my imagination grew. Um, what was lurking in the corners, what was underneath the bed, what, what was down the hallway. And as my imagination grew, so did my fear. Unfortunately, and coincidentally, at that very moment, our pet cat decided to jump up onto a small little rickety table that was in my room. And it collapsed under her weight with a resounding crash. My sister says she still clearly remembers my blood-curdling scream <laughs> in the middle of the night that made her, made her sit up in bed and, and, and made her hair stand up on end. Well, to make, to make it even worse... My dad rushed into my bedroom to try and comfort me. Only forgot to do one thing. He forgot to turn on the light. <laughs> and so now my, my worst fears were confirmed. Whatever was out there had gotten me. I thought I was a goner for sure. Darkness can be, can be terrifying. Well, it got very dark the day Jesus died. Between noon and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, an eclipse of the sun rendered Jerusalem dark and overcast. People were frightened by this strange, this unexpected darkness. Why was it dark in the middle of the day? Well, the Jewish people believed an eclipse of the sun signified a day of judgment. And boy, was that ever true of the day that Jesus was crucified. Yes, darkness can be peaceful. It can be comforting at times. But the darkness of that crucifixion day, it was ominous. It was, it was disturbing. It was troubling. It was as if nature itself wanted to conceal and cover over the cries of pain from those who were dying, the sobs of those grieving the ridicule of those taunting. Crosswords. Jesus' statements before he died. That's uh, the title of the message series that we're thinking about together as we get closer each week 
to Holy Week, Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday. And um, Jesus made, he made seven statements as he hung on the cross dying, and we're considering uh, the fifth one today. And towards the end of that, that three-hour period of frightening darkness, Jesus spoke again. And uh, let's read together what he said at that point in time. If you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15, and I want to read, um, I think it says 33 through 36. Um, back up, if you would, one slide. There we go. 15, 33 through 36. And I, actually, I want to read through verse 39 because I think that, that gives a little bit more uh, uh, information about what was going on here. And uh, follow along in your Bible. Find it in the Blue Pew Bible if you don't have one. And uh, you follow along as I read God's word for us, okay? At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely... This man was the Son of God. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus' word of desolation. Jesus' first language was Aramaic. And um, that's what Mark recorded there in the 15th chapter. These were Jesus' actual words. And um, this statement of all seven of Jesus' statements, it might well be the most wrenching of all of them because in it we understand and, and we're beginning to get a grip on the immense suffering of our Savior. Jesus was likely at his lowest point spiritually and emotionally when he said this. But Jesus' statement was also a cry of identification with you and with me. Because of it, we know that Jesus has fully identified with human suffering at every place that it touches your life and mine. Now, we're not going to solve the riddle or the mystery of suffering today. Why God allows it is still going to be a mystery when we go home this afternoon. But there is one thing that we can say about suffering. Not one of us here today or out there has ever suffered or will ever suffer in a way that Jesus has not already experienced. And so 
We worship, we honor, we adore a Savior and Lord today who did not and never has exempted himself from suffering. Jesus didn't excuse himself and say, that's not for me. Jesus experienced at least three kinds of suffering on the day he was crucified. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Here's the first one. Jesus experienced the suffering that destroys. You know, people are often reluctant to admit that sin is one very obvious cause of human suffering. And yet, the Bible makes it pretty clear that all suffering can ultimately be traced back to the reality and the presence of sin being in this world. Now, careful, careful, careful. I'm not suggesting for a moment that someone with a terminal disease uh, you know, got sick as a res direct result of he or she committing some sin. No. But, yes, any and all physical disease can, in fact, be traced back to this mysterious but very real force the Bible calls sin. It's invaded our world. And, and the effects of sin can be observed even in our physical bodies as well as in the natural world around us. You know, we hear about the tornadoes and the hurricanes. Hard to believe that it has something to do with sin, but it's, it's the presence of sin in our world that causes all this bad stuff. And sin results in suffering. And sometimes our own sin causes us to suffer. Sometimes our sin causes others around us to suffer. Sometimes people sin against us, and we suffer for it. And it doesn't always matter who sinned first. Sin just causes suffering indiscriminately, without reason, without cause. And so the Bible makes it pretty clear that sin is this pervasive reality that touches every dimension of life and human experience. For example, people who become dependent on drugs and alcohol will end up hurting who? Well, both themselves and other people, their family, their friends, right? A person who's an habitual liar will suffer the consequences of being distrusted by the people that they injure through those lies. So both they and the liar suffer. Um, a spouse who's unwilling to forsake destructive attitudes and behavior, my goodness, they can destroy a marriage and everybody in that entire extended family is going to suffer. A sexually promiscuous person might contract a physical disease and then inflict that illness on an innocent person such as his or her spouse. Racist words and actions harm both the racist and the person he or she abuses. Parents who refuse to love their children strongly or discipline them wisely will likely produce adults who hurt themselves hurt their parents, hurt others. I mean, you've, you, you've heard about people who, who won't let go of some offense that was committed against them years ago, and so they internalize that resent, resentment, and in the end, sinful bitterness takes over their hearts, and it can cause them physical illness, psychological harm. Anybody out there want to argue that sin doesn't cause suffering? The Bible says 
For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. No exceptions. Every one of us in here and out there, a sinner. And the Bible also says, for the wages of sin is death. And so sin results in suffering. And to be more precise, it's a a suffering that frankly destroys. But the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was sinless. He never committed an act. He never uttered a word. He never developed an attitude that displeased or grieved his father. So how then can Jesus identify with you and with me in this kind of suffering? Well, that's really what the cross is all about, isn't it? There, Jesus actually took upon himself your sin, my sin. On the cross, God the Father transferred the guilt of your sin and mine onto Jesus. You know, I know this is kind of weird to say this, but it's true. You could say that Jesus became a sinner on the cross. He became a sinner on the cross. And with that transfer of guilt came the condemnation that that always causes, the sin always causes, which which is death. Sin always destroys. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with other people. Uh, Sin destroys anything um, that is beautiful and good and wholesome in this world. Sin destroys the soul, the spirit, the inner life of a person. It destroys our physical bodies. And because sin separates us from a holy God, Jesus experienced complete and utter separation from his Father when he hung upon the cross bearing the penalty of our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Folks, this wasn't just a line from a movie. Jesus' cry was utterly authentic. God the Father, in order to be true to his own holy nature, abandoned, forsook, turned away from his own son when Jesus became a sinner on the cross. Sin matters to God. He can't excuse it. He can't compromise with it. He won't tolerate it. Instead, he must judge it because of who he is. And on that day, the day that Jesus died, God the Father judged sin in his own son. And for the first time in his earthly life, Jesus had no sense of any intimate spiritual connection with his father. It was gone. So what's the implication? Jesus knew what it was like to be spiritually lost. Jesus knew at that moment what it felt like to be unsaved, to be far from God because he himself was. Jesus knows what it's like to look inside yourself and and to feel the total absence of God's presence anywhere. Jesus knows utter desolation, to feel utterly abandoned and forsaken by God. Jesus knows what guilt and condemnation and complete separation from God feels like. 
And so when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's exactly what had happened to him. You and I suffer from some of the consequences of sin, whether it be our own sin or those who sin against us. God mercifully spares you and me the full brunt of what sin could do to us. But nobody here today is required to suffer the full and ultimate consequence of sin, which is what? Well, it's eternal separation and abandonment by God, isn't it? Because, you see, Jesus took that ultimate penalty upon himself. He died in your place and mine. And yes, you, you, well, you can insist on paying the penalty for your own sin by going to your grave, <laughs> refusing to surrender to Jesus, and God will give you what you want, an eternity without him. And sadly, tragically, many people choose just that. They would rather die for their own sins and spend eternity in hell than receive the free gift of life and grace offered through Jesus. Wow. And my friend, if you insist on eternity without God, God will give you that. But God doesn't want that for you. Jesus experienced fully the suffering that destroys so you could escape that suffering forever. The greatest question of your life and mine is whether you have ever received God's free gift of eternal life through Jesus. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to ask for it. You have to receive it by faith. A young boy was consistently late coming home from school. So one day, mom and dad warned him that he needed to be home on time that afternoon or... Um, some painful consequences would follow. Well, apparently he didn't believe mom and dad because he got home that same day later than ever. And mom met him at the door and said nothing. Dad met him in the living room, said nothing. At dinner, the boy looked at his plate. It featured one piece of bread and a glass of water. Ooh. He looked over at his dad's full plate, and then at his dad, but his father remained silent. The boy began to realize just how badly he had disappointed his parents. And the dad did something kind of unusual. He waited for his son to feel the full impact of his own bad behavior, and then he did, dad did something totally unexpected. He took his son's plate and placed it in front of himself. And then he took his own plate of delicious meat and potatoes and put that in front of his son. And he smiled at him. And when that boy grew up to be an adult, he said, all my life I've known what God is like by what my father did that night. That is what God is like. That's what he did for us at the cross. Well, that's the suffering that destroys. Jesus has experienced that. There's a second kind of suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. Jesus experienced 
the suffering that just hurts, just hurts. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Did you know that Jesus was quoting the Old Testament there? Yeah. Uh, David, Israel's greatest king, used that phrase first in one of his psalms. He wrote, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. You know, for several years, if you know the story of David, for several years, David was stalked by King Saul, who preceded David on the throne, and, and Saul had become insanely jealous of David, tried to kill him, and uh, David made a lot of enemies in his life, and even, even narrowly survived an attempted coup d'etat by his own son, Absalom. David knew all about fear and anxiety and stress. In other words, he endured the kind, the kind of suffering that hurts you and me deeply in life. And sometimes David's suffering was so acute, he felt as if God had abandoned him, forgotten him, forsaken him. And he described his feelings there in Psalm 22. And what he wrote there became prophetic. And because it was literally fulfilled in the experience of Jesus on the, on the cross. Consider what else David wrote in this psalm. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Now, David's hands and feet were never actually literally pierced. Nobody actually uh, gambled for David's clothes. He was speaking metaphorically here, but it was fulfilled literally and physically by Jesus on the cross. Pretty remarkable, huh? We forget that Jesus experienced the pain and the hurt of suffering, not, not, just, not just physically, but emotionally as well. Think about it. Jesus, Jesus knew what it feels like to be poor. Jesus knows what it feels like to be hungry, to be homeless, to be in tremendous physical pain. Jesus knows what it's like to have your motives questioned, to be left out, to be rejected by other people, to be deeply hated for no good reason. Uh, some of you here today may have been violated at some point in your life, sexually, physically, emotionally abused. No one was more violated than Jesus. Have you ever been stabbed in the back or betrayed by a spouse or a friend? Jesus was betrayed by a disciple he had personally selected, and then he was abandoned by all of the other disciples on the night before the cross. Have you been treated unfairly in your life at some point? No one has been treated more unfairly than Jesus. There was a woman by the name of Emma 
She was a survivor of the Holocaust. And uh, almost every day at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, she would stand outside a certain church in Manhattan and she would scream insults at Jesus. And finally, the pastor, a Bishop Myers by name, he went outside and he said to Emma, why don't you just come on inside and tell him yourself? <laughs> and uh, so Emma disappeared into the church. An hour went by and, and the bishop got worried. He, he, he decided to look in on her and he found Emma in the sanctuary of his church lying prostrate on the ground, absolutely still in front of the cross. He reached down, he, he touched her on the shoulder to see if she was okay. She looked up at him with tears in her eyes and she said quietly, after all, he was a Jew too. It's impossible to outsuffer Jesus. Can't do it. And folks, not for one minute do I want to ever minimize any suffering in your life that, is, that still hurts you deeply this morning. I simply want to remind you and all of us that Jesus knows the depths of the pain that you feel. And that's exactly why you and I can come to him again and again when life just, it just gets too much to bear. You know that in Jesus you're loved and you're understood. But Jesus offers more than understanding. He also gives you and me a spiritual strength and comfort that you cannot explain. You, you just have to experience it to know that it's real and that it's wonderful. Here's what the Bible says. This high priest, Jesus, of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so Jesus provides this supernatural grace and strength for the suffering that hurts deeply in life. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when, in the, what we read today, that when Jesus cried out in his agony, some onlookers misunderstood him. They, they thought he was calling out to the prophet Elijah. Remember that? And what, what was that about? Well, uh, there was a common belief at that time among Jewish people that when a righteous person was in some kind of distress, Elijah, a great Old Testament prophet who lived some 700 to 800 years before Jesus, would appear and rescue that person. And these bystanders at the cross, we, we don't know who they were, but they were kind of just curious to see if this would happen. And what, what's kind of sad about that is that Jesus' agony became kind of a spectacle to them. And I wonder if something like that has ever happened to you, where you're just, you know, you're going through a tremendously difficult time, and people are kind of looking at you, they're kind of, and all you feel is their curiosity about you. They don't really, you don't really feel they're, you're caring, they're, they're caring for you. They're just kind of wondering if you're going to make it through that. And I just simply want to remind you that Jesus is never curious about the pain in your life and mine. He understands it. He's experienced it. 
And he's always caring because he himself has experienced the suffering that hurts in life. And so, folks, that's why we can take every sorrow, every disappointment, every rejection, every failure to him and know that Jesus fully uh, understands all of that hurt in all of its dimensions. And that's why David said he kept coming back to God, back to Psalm 22, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. God never despises your hurts. He never treats them lightly. He never looks down on them. God himself has been there in the person of his son, Jesus. The suffering that destroys, Jesus has experienced that. The suffering that hurts, Jesus has experienced that. Let me, let me just mention a third kind of suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. Jesus experienced the suffering that redeems, redeems. You know something, folks? Suffering is going to test your faith and mine. And you, kind of, you can kind of have those times when you wonder if God is hiding from you. You question the reality of his love. Suffering will do that to you. The greatness of his power, even the authenticity of his presence. And like I said at the beginning of today's message, we're not going to solve the mystery of suffering today or any other day. You know, I just think about someone that grew up in this church, and some of you who have been here for quite a while, you, you remember the story of, of Brian Shaw. Godly man, godly husband, godly father, died of brain cancer. I think it was just last year, wasn't it? Leaving a grieving wife and, and 10 children who uh, could benefit so much from having him in their lives. I, I, can't, I can't explain that. I don't even try. I, I can't explain why children uh, contract terrible terminal diseases. And, and I have yet to read or to hear a completely satisfying answer to why God allows suffering in the world. And when it's me that's the one suffering, no explanation makes sense or is good enough. You know, the Bible never... Here's what's interesting, folks. The Bible never answers this question. Why does God allow suffering? Why am I suffering? Instead, it always points you and me to another question and its answer. How can my suffering bring glory to God? That's the question the Bible is always after you and me to answer. How can my suffering bring glory to God? And the great Christian leader, Paul, who was no stranger to suffering, my goodness, had an amazing insight regarding that question. Here's what he, here's what he wrote. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Paul knew God, and like I said, Paul knew suffering. And folks, here, here's, a, here's a fact that we always kind of have to remember. Suffering that is surrendered back to God, that is given back to God, 
um, then is transformed by his hand, that kind of suffering redeems. Now, if you just hold on to suffering and you don't give it to God, all it does is make you bitter. But when suffering is given to God, it redeems. And folks, that's a spiritual fact that is as real and true as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. I may not like that fact, but it's true whether I like it or not. And it's written in, into the fabric of the universe that God has created. Now, you remember how an oyster makes a pearl, don't you? I mean, there's that, there's that happy little oyster just sitting on the ocean floor minding its own business. And then a little piece of grit or sand somehow gets inside of that oyster shell. You know what? That irritates the oyster. It, it suffers. But in dealing with that irritation, the oyster creates a pearl, something, something of lasting beauty. The oyster's suffering is redeemed. Something of great value, something of great worth, a treasure was caused by the suffering. And so suffering that is given back to God does the same thing for you and for me. And I want to suggest to you that the suffering of Jesus was redemptive in two ways. First, and we talked about this earlier, his suffering redeemed or saved us from the ultimate consequences of our own sin, which would be what? Death and eternal separation from God. I mean, our, our text today confirmed the redemptive nature of Jesus' suffering. Remember when we read this there in Mark? And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So what? Well, that great curtain hung in the Jewish temple separating the holy place from the most holy place. And when Jesus died, God the Father tore that curtain open from top to bottom, meaning what? meaning that you and I can come into his presence now. We, we, we can have a, an eternal relationship with God now. We can know his love now because of what Jesus did. But Jesus' suffering was redemptive in a second way too. And I don't, want, I don't want you to miss this. His suffering was somehow necessary in his own development as God's son. Now, I know that's going to sound a little strange because if Jesus is God, why, why should he ever need to develop in some way? I mean, if you're God, you're perfect, right? Um, I don't know. But I want to point you to what the Bible itself says in the book of Hebrews. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Well, what, why did Jesus have to learn obedience? Hard to say. There's a profound mystery there. Evidently, God the Father used suffering in the life experience of his son Jesus to develop him in some way. Now, oh, can I, now, now here's something, here's something that, that we need to acknowledge. If God used suffering developmentally 
in the life of Jesus, won't he also use suffering in your life and mine? Yes, he can, he will, he does. You know, I just look out over our congregation today, and I'm sure there's just the, the same experience by, for many who are listening online today um, that could share with the rest of us um, what personal suffering given to God has produced in their lives that's good. I, I can just look out across this congregation, and I can point to a lot of people that could share that. Because suffering that, that is given back to God, and basically you say, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this, but I'm giving it back to you. It changes you. It molds you. It matures you. It shapes you. Suffering given to God builds your faith instead of destroying it. Suffering given back to God results in more compassion for other people instead of less. Suffering given back to God draws us closer to him instead of pushing us farther away. Suffering given to God creates something in your soul and mind that is eternal instead of temporary, beautiful instead of ugly. Suffering that is given back to God redeems. It redeems. There's a story of a man who um, found the cocoon of an emperor moth. And um, he wanted to see this moth emerge from the cocoon. And so he, you know, took the cocoon off, brought it home, put it into a container, and he watched it. And then there finally came the day when he began to see some movement in that cocoon. He saw a little opening up at the top of it and, and realized that that emperor moth was trying to emerge out of the cocoon. And for several hours, this emperor moth just worked at, at getting himself out of that cocoon. And this went on for hour after hour after hour. And after a while, the man that had gotten this cocoon became concerned. He thought that something was wrong. And so he got a pair of scissors and he snipped open the cocoon so that, you know, the moth could come out. And so, you know, out came this moth with a, with a large swollen body and small shriveled wings. And, um, you know, he thought that, that after a while the, the, the moth, you know, the, the, the wings and stuff would, would fill out and, and pretty soon, go ahead and put the next picture up there. This was, this was what he was thinking the moth was going to look like. This, this beautiful creature that could fly and, and was going to just enjoy a whole new existence. But that's not what his moth looked like. Its body stayed large and swollen. Its wings stayed small and shriveled. Because here's what that man did not know. 
that God had designed the process of, try, of that moth trying to get out of its cocoon and trying to get through that, that tight, small little opening. It, it pushed the fluids of the moth out of its body and into its wings. And so what he thought was an act of kindness was actually an act of cruelty. Folks, there's a lesson from nature in that for you and me. Struggle. Suffering is sometimes best for us ultimately. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus' word of desolation. But it's also a word of identification with you and me. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, he didn't exempt himself from suffering. No, 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 not from struggle. Jesus experienced the suffering that destroys. He experienced the suffering that hurts. He experienced the suffering that redeems. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.